Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Quickly here to wrap up our conversation on the Looney Dogs and the, the apparent slight, maybe? Which is where the song is coming from. Is it? Broken Hearts. Oh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, is that what it is? Mm. Anyway, Ailish, uh, I don't know if this was you like like a desperation effort to prove yourself, at least for the start of next season. Yeah, I made a, a statement. But immediately <laughs> after we went to break, Ailish is like, you know what? I'm going to wear my Looney Dog cons- uh, costume for every home game in the studio. So like the yeah, morning of every, every Looney, Looney Dogs. You're going to be coming game. in here watch coming in here wa- wearing your Looney Dog costume that I got you for Christmas. There's so 11 I don't, Looney Dogs like, are you this try- season. You just try to prove yourself no, to the powers that uh, be? I'm or not going just- to let this slight me. I'm going to actually work harder to <laughs> okay, be the yeah. brand ambassador. You're, so you're, of moti- dogs. you're motivated by the fact that you weren't chosen yeah. to push the Looney Dogs. So this I'm going to push it harder. Good. Okay. That's. I mean, you could give up right now. You could. Nope. You could wash your hands clean of this and. Tuesday, and that was, April 25th. That was my thing last year, but you're doubling down. Tuesday, April 25th, the first Looney Dogs game of the season. I'll be here. I'll broadcast the whole show in my Looney Dogs costume, as well as every other. Tuesday, Looney Dogs home game. 11 like, dates, right? 11 of them, no problem. Okay, so ele- you're getting 11 wears out of that costume. That's maybe Bare 11 minimum. more than I expected. Bare minimum. And I would also just like to say thank you to the loyal listeners who tagged me in this post dozens of times, both on Instagram and on Twitter, saying, <clears throat> question mark, question mark, question mark, where's Alish? So the brand is strong. The hive is strong. The Looney Dogs squad, we, we ride together. They know. We ride together. They know. Okay, let's pivot. Unfortunately, I have to move on from this letdown to someone who never lets us down, Frank Saravelli, NHL Insider and President of Hockey Content at DailyFaceOff.com. Frank, we teed it up last Monday saying, well, is it going to be a dud? And we thought, no, there's going to be bangers on Friday. And it kind of fell short, I think we could admit. Not that the content wasn't great you're pumping out at Daily Faceoff, but I think that the big blockbuster trades had had been done. I I don't know. I mean, Monday I set it up as wild card week, and yeah. I feel like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were some of the wildest weeks we've ever had during deadline period. But they didn't save it for Friday, which is fine because at that point I mean, we already got all the fun. I think we're like everyone's cool with that. I think. I mean, look when you see the, it's not just the magnitude, but the volume of trades that took place. Like it was. Honestly, it's one of the craziest trade deadlines I've covered. No, and I think that that's a good perspective. It doesn't have to just be on that final day, even though it's fun for the broadcasters like uh, us that were on air basically all day. But it was probably one of the most exciting trade deadlines that I can remember in recent history. Um, Just big names going off the board. As you said, wild card situation, having teams deciding to go all in, teams that did absolutely nothing that were in the surprise factor box. But let's start with the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, because that's where we're at. Um, They didn't do much on the Friday, but they did a lot leading up to it. Was there any sense in your mind or from hearing from others that they were looking to do more on that Friday or did they decide to stand pat uh, before? No, I think they kind of had a a pretty good idea heading in that um, they were going to be mostly pretty quiet on Friday. And if you look at the way they set things up from a salary cap perspective, it it was kind of crazy just in pure even numbers how they really – arranged everything you know i think some people were curious with nine defensemen and if you include jordy ben that's 10 is that too many 
do you need to better balance things out? You know, 12 forwards, 13 if you include Wayne Simmons, 14 with Matt Nyes. I guess that's a pretty decent number to head into the playoffs with. And the way they set it up, just from a pure salary cap perspective, enough room to activate Matt Murray and sign Matt Nyes to an $850,000 contract that will end up being prorated. It all kind of, the dots connect and it aligns perfectly. And then, of course, invariably this weekend, you end up with an injury to Ryan O'Reilly that sort of clouds everything. So what do we know about that injury, Frank? Uh, well, just obviously taking a, a close look at the, the replays, it clearly you know seems to hit him right on the hands. Um, I think the early rumblings were that Ryan O'Reilly could miss up to a month. Um, none of that's confirmed, but that seemed to be the speculation uh, heading out of the weekend in Leafland was that, you know, if it is indeed a fracture in the hand, it's somewhere in that four week range. So, uh. so how much does that, like, obviously it complicates things. It makes things more difficult here. Uh, at least preparing for the playoffs. I guess that would leave them with a little bit of time to get him acclimated, maybe just about a week if it's a month on the nose. Um, does this like kind of, does this force Sheldon Keefe to kind of revert to what would be considered the, at least the initial read? Like if you only have that much time, whether it's to play with John Tavares or to anchor that third line, like how much does this cloud what, what, they were planning to do with O'Reilly and maybe where they end up with O'Reilly if he's indeed able to come back just before the playoffs begins. Well, yeah, it's important to keep in mind, not confirmed. So let's wait to hear exactly what the injury status is from the Leafs. But I think two things, one, um, they were able to get a pretty good sense having gotten the O'Reilly business done, you know, sort of well before the deadline that they at least got, a pretty good picture and view of what they think, you know, he is and where he fits, you know, at this exact moment in time with his game. I think the unfortunate part is when you add those other guys into the mix, you know, including Lafferty, et cetera, you know, it, it's not that it complicates it, but there were just a couple more moving parts that were in that picture um, that you just didn't get as much time with. And so, you know, the idea that you, you got some and you'll still likely have to um, uh, have some time, if that's what the timeline is, before the end of the regular season, that you're in a pretty good spot to really get everything set that you want to. And so I don't think there's, like, gonna obviously missing him, not ideal. And I think the last thing you want is to – have any sort of injury that's going to hamper his play, particularly heading into the playoffs, not feeling a hundred percent because that's what this is all geared toward. But, um, you know, they have a good idea heading in that it's not like they're flying completely blind. Maybe not Felino ask because if it was Felino ask it would impact them in the playoffs, but uh, difficult for Kyle Dubas to stomach. I'm sure uh, losing another guy that he invested a first-round pick into um, at this point in the season. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if there's a placeholder. We'll see how the Maple Leafs react to Ryan O'Reilly's injury. Uh, weird weekend for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Ailish uh, was in the building while their stars were sat weird. on the bench. <laughs> that's, that's one of the reasons why it was weird. Uh, yeah, so John Cooper pulls that card, benches his guys, and then the next night they get absolutely trounced by the Carolina Hurricanes getting reduced to just a few shots. I think they were shut out in terms of shots in one of the periods. 
Are the Lightning, what's going on with the Tampa Bay Lightning? Have they hit a weird point here? Is this like finally catching up to them? Is just just a blip on the radar? What's your read on what is going on with the Tampa Bay Lightning right now? Well, first off, there was a lot of like odd overreacting. Maybe it's not that odd coming from Leafs Nation, the sort of idea that, oh, this is perfect. This is setting up amazingly for the Leafs to take them out in round one, the lightning are going down. And I'm like, hold on a second. Like if we're all being fair, like this leaf road trip was like way less than ideal. And not just from the injury perspective, but the Leafs, even in Calgary, they didn't look great. So it was not a good trip out to Western Canada. So let's park that for a second. But when you look at the lightning and, and where they're at, like, yeah, I think to me, a huge surprise. Part of it is when you get to, you know, that spot and you decide to bench your players and you look at the schedule and you look at the next game and you say, well, yeah, part of it is the way they play today, but part of it is the old load management situation setting us up for the next game. And when that's a dud too, I think you, you're certainly concerned about what's going on. You know, why is this team struggling so much? You know, getting belted by the Carolina Hurricanes six zip like that's ultra concerning so um first off there was there seemed to be lots of uh hand wringing about the hurricanes and their lack of deadline activity how come they only added shane goss despair and yes apoliarvi do you guys know that since january 25th the carolina hurricanes have the best record in the nhl um and so that's part of it um they ran into a couple of really hot teams in in buffalo and carolina but I think there's definitely on a scale of one to 10, the way that this you know weekend unfolded for the Tampa Bay Lightning, it, it definitely registers on the Richter scale somewhere in the eight and a half scale. Well, I saw Tanner Janot absolutely uh, make an impact in that game nonetheless with the, with the fight and knocking, knocking people out. I mean, are they happy with that acquisition? Is it uh, when you look at, because I always think a team that gets ahead of it um, before the trade deadline pays a specific price. And then afterwards on Monday, we get to evaluate the cost of something when you size it all up with other acquisitions made at the trade deadline um, in in a sense of it being Monday and the, the dust has settled. Happy with him and happy with the price that they paid for him? I think they are. I mean, look, they've they've made some incredibly smart curated selections and they find players that fit exactly the role that they're looking to fill um, and in Janot, like he's, he's someone that has struggled this season on a pred team that really was trending in the opposite direction. You play him with some more skilled players. Uh, you basically unleash him to go be the sort of ferocious four checker that he is, um, and, and play in lots of different situations. And you have a guy that probably had a depressed shooting percentage this year and can find a way to begin to bounce back. And I think a trade like that also energizes you. You go from a team that doesn't have a, you know, really a, a great shot to make the playoffs. And there was some chatter over the weekend, like, Hey, can this Preds team actually make a run now after selling off pieces um, that, you know, they're in a spot where he joins the team that's been to three consecutive Stanley cup finals. And even though it's been a tough week for them, he's, he's got great potential to unlock some of what's hidden beneath him in terms of his game and production. And so um, I, I can guarantee you that 
there's not a single player in that room that's thinking about the draft picks and how those might impact them because Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, none of those guys are going to be there to see a second-round pick play for the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, maybe not even the late first. So they're focused solely on the here and now, and Tanner Janot helps them accomplish their goals. Let's round out the Atlantic Division triangle with the Boston Bruins. Um, did this all work out perfectly for Boston? I mean, a couple injuries maybe at the right time allows them to stash Felino and Hall, but I guess the flip side is that is like, is there concern that the Felino and Hall injuries are maybe worse than, hey, you're, welcome back when the playoffs roll around with Tyler Bertuzzi potentially on your wing. Is Did this work out perfectly for Boston, or is there real concern over whether or not Felino and Hall uh, are going to be sidelined for a, a long while? No, I think there's there's some pretty significant concern, or at least there is heading in. And I think that's sort of the nice thing about what Boston has assembled is that, you look, you don't want to lose any players, but if you're losing a couple guys, those are probably two of the safer guys on your team to be missing out on. Um, they're not defensemen. They're not playing major minutes. And when you're in a, a third-line role, you know, not to say those guys are replaceable, but it, it certainly makes it easier. Um, and so Bertuzzi comes in is a great fit. Um, I think he's Brad Marchand light. Um, I thought that was honestly one of the biggest acquisitions of the trade deadline period itself was just adding a player with that sort of high end skill that if he can stay healthy has the edge and the bite to his game that I think just takes it to the next level. But with the two injuries specifically, um, you know, Felino was spotted uh, over the weekend, I believe, wearing a knee brace. The early word was that he'd be missing the rest of the regular season. And Taylor Hall's injury was a lot more sort of difficult to to work through. There was initially early speculation that Hall had suffered a torn ACL. Now, I don't believe that's the case. He went for a second opinion um, and I think the early suggestion from both doctors that he saw was that whatever he'd be playing through, there'd be no chance to damage it further than it's already been. And so I think that's on the positive end. The downside is there's obviously something there that um, has caught everyone's attention and eye, and he's probably somewhere in like the four to six week range to come back, uh, give it some time to rest and heal and it, it seems like the timeline lines up for both those guys to come back for opening night of the playoffs. But, you know, that's sort of where they're at at the moment. Nonetheless, pretty impressive trade deadline from one of the best and probably the best um, NHL team right now. Um, let's talk about a team that really disappointed, I think, a lot of their fan base was the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, yeah, how did they fumble the bag there with the JVR trade? What happened with that last-minute Red Wings deal that wasn't? It was a really weird situation that unfolded, and I, I think if it makes any sense when I say this, they were close but not really. Like they said, hey, we're interested in this player. We'd like to do a deal with you, but we can only do this deal if we make something else happen. And they were never able to make that something else happen, so it never really got close in terms of, you know, hey, we're agreeing to this deal or anything like that. Um, and so I think there was lots of reporting out there that in the exact moment in time was actually probably also a bit delayed. 
um, it's sort of sometimes on trade deadline day, it's like whisper down the lane. And when it gets to like four people down the lane, it's already 45 minutes old and that's not what's happening. So when it comes to the flyers and how this all happened, I think you, you heard Chuck Fletcher say their GM, well, I didn't even have a, a concrete offer on the table until 1.40 p.m. Eastern. And he said it was hard to drum up interest on the market. I think the Flyers really erred in this sense on not getting James Van Riemsdyk moved 10 days earlier. When the market started to shift, uh, the Flyers were still asking, I'm told, for a pretty significant package. They were looking for two picks. The report and word at the time was a second and third round pick for James Van Riemsdyk. And what happened was, it's not that people didn't like the player. Obviously, there were some hiccups and, and obstacles to, to climb through with his salary cap hit at $7 million to wash that money twice. But the fact that we got to Friday, the real issue was not the player. It was that all the teams that were in the market for that type of player had already filled all of their voids and holes. So there were so few teams left that actually needed and were looking for that player that they essentially boxed themselves out of the market by not ensuring, hey, we're going to take a third-round pick for this guy 10 days ago or whatever it may be. They were holding out for something better, and it just it, it wasn't possible for it to materialize at that point. Yeah, maybe I'm sleeping a little bit on where JVR is at in his career, but double retention JVR last minute making things happen. Like after all these teams had already filled out their salary needs, like it just felt like it was wishful thinking. It was uh, a miss from, it was a miss from not just the flyers, but it felt like a miss from all these other teams that look, this guy's still a 20 goal scorer in the NHL and one of the best net front scorers in the league. Like why wouldn't you be wanting to add that type of player to your team at a, at a really cheap, reduced cost. Like the Flyers were saying at the end, we'll take anything for this guy. We just want to move him. Yeah, and I, I guess that, you know, John Klingberg goes for a fourth-round pick. Like, I, I guess that's where kind of my focus was. Like, that needs to happen. If that doesn't happen, then maybe that everyone's just tapped out. And uh, you're right. I guess they should have been on it uh, way earlier. Um, they wanted to be sellers, the Flyers. Uh, they didn't probably sell enough. But teams did have success selling off assets. Who would you consider the most impressive or most most successful seller at the trade deadline? Um, I sort of waffle between the St. Louis Blues, who again got their business done really early, moving Tarasenko, um, you know, moving um, Ryan O'Reilly. It seemed like they were, like the best thing you can do is be definitive and say, doesn't really matter what happens in the standings, we're selling. And they they really they acted quickly, um, and so did once it was time. Like the the, the Washington Capitals gave themselves more runway, um, and coming back from Stadium Series, I think the writing was on the wall after they got their doors blown off in front of fifty seven thousand people against the Hurricanes. That the Caps just aren't in the same class as the rest of the Eastern Conference with, um, and not just the Canes, but also with the injuries that they have. Um, and so Washington, you know, moving Orlov, moving Hathaway, moving their pieces out, um, they acted swiftly as well. And so they got a nice return. And the only thing that sort of complicated the view of Washington's deadline to me was the Sandine acquisition. Um, and I thought that that was really a nice feather in Kyle Dubas's cap because 
when you look at this logjam of defensemen that they now have, that I'm sure as he was piecing everything together in the moment, you know, he was realizing this player is probably going to be a healthy scratch for us. And before we broadcast that to the rest of the team, rest of the league in the playoffs, let's capitalize on this guy's values high and to get a first round pick back. Um, even if it's the Bruins pick to me, that made so much sense. Um, so a little bit less sense for the caps, although if they're a believer in Sandine and they think that he can be something more than what he's shown and they have him under cost certainty for next year at 1.4 million, um, Maybe that makes sense, but those are a couple teams that stand out to me from the, the seller standpoint, like teams that started the year with legitimate expectations to be playoff teams, to be, you know, potentially in that realm where they're cup contenders like the Blues after a 109-point season last year, to get to, you know, mid-February and say, we just don't have it this year. I think more teams could use to draw a hard line in the sand like that and say, we're just not there. The Flames, kind of in the same ballpark as a team that was great. And then this year, that question mark surrounding where they're going. I was excited to see them on Friday. They were my most intriguing team to watch. Um, five straight losses now in this brutal week and a quieter trade deadline. Um, how do you grade what they did and didn't do and feel bad for their fan base a little bit just sitting there waiting for something? Well, I, I kind of grade their deadline to be honest, this is going to sound funny when I say it, like I give it a B plus. And the reason for that is they didn't throw good money after bad. I think they had a, a, a cognizance of what their team is and, and frankly what it isn't this season. And rather than go out and chase it and say, we're going to make a massive deadline acquisition and trade futures for this year. Um, they just said, look, we're, we're going to peruse the market at the very last hour or two get what we can get without really giving up much. And they get Troy Stetcher in, in, as part of the brother trade. <laughs> and I, I, I thought it fit. Like, this team is not good enough. They're not getting the goaltending. And they're on pace for 87 points. 87 is a long way from 96, which is sort of the threshold you need to hit to make it. And they're just – they're not going to get there. I don't see any signs. I haven't seen any signs in the last month as you continue to look for them. Every time it looks like the Calgary Flames are turning the corner and are going to be better, they shoot themselves in the foot, whether it's blowing a third-period lead, a juicy pizza rebound that's you know way out into the high slot that turns into the back of your net uh, before you can blink. And they just they haven't shown any sort of confidence-building measure to say that this is a team that looks like it could be a playoff team. And so they didn't deserve to add. And I think the fact that they didn't, um, to me, showed a real sign of self-awareness of what the Flames are. Uh, Last one for you, Frank. I know we're keeping you a little long. Um, So the Flames weren't right to go all in. But it seemed like there was an opportunity for a Western Conference team to make a statement. Are you a little surprised that no team pushed their chips in the table, especially with the Colorado Avalanche doing just a little bit, just trying to improve at the margins? The cap, I thought the Avs were one of the real confounding teams of the deadline because everyone knows they're a talented team and when they get healthy are truly probably the team to beat in the West. But to have all of that money from Gabriel Landeskog, the seven million bucks to spend, I just don't feel like they really properly took advantage of it. You know, 
the deadline additions that they make, and I say this fully recognizing that it's not always the biggest piece that puts your team over the top. Last year it was Lekkanen, and if you go through the last number of, of cup winners, whether it was Savard or whether it was uh, Coleman and Goodrow or before that, Michael Kempney, or I don't even think the, the Blues really added all that much for their run in 2019. It's not always the big name that puts you over the top. But Lars Eller, and I thought the price seemed to be inflated at a second-round pick. Like, the way he's played this year, he's clearly in the fourth to fifth-round pick territory. So they go Lars Eller and Jack Johnson. Neither one of those two guys moved the needle. And I was just surprised to see that team in the position that they're in with all that LTIR cap space, that those were the two guys that team picked. It just it didn't really seem to fit. And I just thought, given all the players that were out there and did move, I think it's it's great that they ended up not expending significant future assets, and they have all three of their next first round picks intact, and that's great. It just it felt like they could have done a bit more, and and I don't know if that's them signaling how weird this year has been with the umpteen injuries and the concussion issues from a car and and all that's happened this year. Maybe they're saying this is just an odd year. But to sit here with $3.8 million remaining in space and all your first-round picks, it just feels weird for a team that could have done more. Yeah, it is surprising. I'm, I, I expected them to do more, if not just because of the Landis-Cog thing, but Nathan McKinnon gets paid double starting next year for a long, long time. This is your last chance to cash in on him making only six. Uh, point three million dollars. So uh, we'll see if that comes back to bite them. But I guess maybe they looked around and thought, hey, no one else is going to make a statement. Maybe we know we're the best team in the Western Conference anyway. Uh, Frank, this is a lot of fun. We appreciate, uh, you know, all the insight leading up. And of course, the debrief here. Uh, we'll chat again next week. Thank you, guys. Have a good week. That's Frank Saravelli, NHL insider, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. We're going to do our own winners and losers after our break. Um, but he touched on a couple. I I was really disappointed with the Flames. But then he, he puts in a good perspective, like maybe doing nothing is better than chasing or or like, for me, I, I, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of, I didn't know what lane they should have been in. But Neither did I, but I thought they'd pick one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> being in a lane is where you want to be. You want to, if you're just kicking the can down the road, hey, maybe that's the, uh, if you don't feel you can do your best work now, you can do it in the off season, but that team needs a little bit of a shakeup. So we'll see exactly what they do, but maybe they were a little hard pressed to do what they felt was necessary. And that's why it was kind of a wash. And maybe it's a little bit of recency bias since, as I mentioned, they've they've lost quite a few over the last stretch, five games in a row, but they're still got, Man, they're still a good team. So, well, they have good pieces. How about that? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, before we take a break and do our own winners and losers of the trade deadline, we're giving away tickets again this week, this time for Sam Hunt. Sam Hunt coming to Budweiser stage on July 16th as a part of his On the Outskirts tour with Brett Young and Lily Rose. And we're giving away tickets all week long. All you need to do is listen to us, the Fan Morning Show, for the daily code word. Today's code word is house party. Text house party to 59590 right now for your chance to win a pair of tickets. We're giving away another pair tomorrow. So if you don't win with us, make sure you secure your tickets at ticketmaster.ca on Friday starting at 10 a.m. So house party, Sam Hunt tickets, July 16th, all week long. You can be a winner. Today's code word, house party. I may have to send a text in. 
Oh, you're a big Sam Hunt I guy. Could, I could go to a Sam Hunt concert. Wow. House Party's a great tune. We'll have a house party. We don't need nobody. There you go. Okay. Got a f- couple bars out of you there. Yeah, I know my Sam Hunt too. There's so many good concerts this summer. What the heck? Can use that roulette money. Over under four and a half I've walks over. over to you're already over. For concerts in general? Or just, just Bud Stage? Walks over to Bud Stage Ooh, this summer. I for don't you. know if I have five Bud Stage lined up, but I got a couple lined up. I wouldn't be surprised if you get there five times. Yeah, there's definitely there's enough good concerts to get there five times. We're giving away tickets every week to a great concert. <laughs> that's right. All right, Sam Hunt tickets. That's house party. We're gonna take a break and we're gonna do winners and losers trade deadline edition on the other side. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The JD Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports and Five Nine, the Fan. It's Monday, a little Sam Hunt bringing us in. When you can work soiree into lyrics, you have that, to do it. That's a word I, I never think I've ever said aloud. Soiree. That's good. <laughs> it's a great word. Um, all right. Before we get into winners and losers, we've got to remind you to send in your wake and rake picks. Got the Raptors hitting the road here um, on the West West Coast. Denver Nuggets tonight. Clippers Wednesday. Lakers Friday night. So maybe your pick comes from Raps at Nuggets. That's at 9 p.m. Um, but there's a full slate of NBA and NHL to pick through. Maple Leafs not in action till tomorrow against the Devils and home for a little stretch. So maybe pick your picks from then. There's college basketball getting around. So lots to come. Just 590-590, send that in. Tall task for the Toronto Raptors tonight in Denver. Denver had the weekend off. They had the weekend off? Well, they played Friday night, but they didn't play oh, Saturday or Sunday. Well so. rested. Arrested Jokic. I don't even know how you begin to deal with Jokic. Jakob Pertl better be healthy and ready to go. Yikes! I actually wanted to. I wanted to ask you something about. Uh, it was going to be my A list. Last night, Giannis. I don't know if you saw this yet. This morning, was one rebound away from a triple double. Okay. Okay. It's they're winning the game. There's uh, enough time for him to run down the, f- the court. It's 117-111. And instead of scoring with a couple seconds left, he gives himself a rebound. Oh, my God. So there's nobody on him. Like, they just kind of gave up knowing that he'd run down the court and, and like, dunk or whatever. But Are you st- serious? he stops. I have the audio clip, actually. Let me play it first. So because- hold on, hold on. He ran down to the... So we got an offensive rebound. Yeah. He missed a shot, he so we can get an away. offensive rebound. He's one away. So let me play the clip first because they're all also very stunned that this is happening. He's going to finish one rebound shy of a triple double. This is about the net. Do it. Oh, he got it. Does that count? <laughs> it's got it, right? Oh, Ricky shot Davis attempt. style. Ricky they Davis told him style. And the bench told him. Giannis <laughs> has his triple double. His tenth rebound in the final few seconds. It's not his a so, so it's this not is a triple it. double. He he has a, a couple seconds there to end off the game. Instead of instead of dunking or putting up two points, he gives himself an offensive rebound to get a triple double. That's worse than the ladder thing. Okay, so remember the ladder uh, thing? Uh, yeah, that was bad. It's like all about Giannis. Like Giannis, Giannis is fake nice guy. Okay, so so what do we think of this? Because this is aw- like I don't know. Maybe it's not awful. One it's rebound away from a triple though. double. Think about the people that just won lots of money on having a, a Giannis triple double. Well, it's good for them. But is it good for the spirit of the game, Justin? 
I don't even know if it's it's just like it's just selfish. It's just like it's inauthentic. But there it's, was no need to score that basket. There was no need to do anything. Right. Triple it out. You didn't get a real triple double. I don't know. I'm so torn you on like this. It? No, I actually woke up and I saw this and I'm like, I don't know how I feel. I got to see the video. It's well, I mean, it's just he stands there and gives himself a that's a rebound and then the buzzer goes. I don't know how to feel. I think, man, it's cheeky and it's Giannis. I kind of respect it, but at the same time, I hate it. So I'm, I'm like right in the middle of the Venn diagram here. I don't know which way to be swayed. Sell me on it, 590, 590. Do we love Giannis for doing this? Is it like, hey, you know what? Why not? Or is it kind of shady? I have no idea how to feel, and usually I do. So help me out. It's shady. I'm watching it now. It's shady. Eh? It's not even a, like he hits the bottom of the net. He just like bounces well, off the bottom of the net. Well, he gets a rebound. I don't know, man. Interesting. I don't know. I don't like it. So Ricky like Davis, they she makes the uh they make the, you know, correlation to that. Text line just brought in the good point. Ricky Davis shot his own, shot on his own net to get the rebound for the triple double in the mid 2000s playing for the Cavs and they didn't count it. Oh, I like that. I hope they don't count it. They but, probably did because they love on his own net, the, on his own net, right? To Wait. get the rebound. So this was on the offensive. That makes uh, more that's sense. more of a rebound, I guess. Shooting on your <laughs> shooting on your own net's hilarious. That's brutal. <laughs> good for him though. So this one counts. Giannis gets a triple-double. I don't know. It's it's me, me, me stuff. It's a me, me, me move. Well, 100%. I don't like it. I'm certain, to, I'm certain to move over to that side of the diagram. That you don't like it? Yeah. I can't believe you liked it. I, I thought you'd be I, more offended said, but, than me by this. I said I I don't know how to feel, but a part of me like, uh, it, you know, I respect the respect just being like, this is all about me. I, I was looking at his reaction. It, he's kind of—he's kind of smiling. If he like burst out in laughter, maybe that's yeah, more funny. Like he's just know, joking man. around. I'm on the fence. The text line: one person says, uh, "Shady as you know what we know what kind of fish Giannis uh, is." Guess what? And it isn't a generous fish; it's a shellfish. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's, that's, we could just leave it at that. That's better than anything I'm going to say. good. All right. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on that 590-590. I bet there's some people that are happy with bet slips after that, but that's about it. Um, okay. Winners and losers of the trade deadline. It was a busy trade week to say that. Um, it was wild card week once we talked to Frank on Monday of last week. But it is over, and we can now officially hand out grades and winners and losers and put people in columns um, without even knowing how that's going to really impact the end of this Stanley Cup chase. But in the moment, teams got better, teams got worse, teams stayed right in the middle of the road. Where do you want to start? Want to do winners and then losers? Yeah, we like usually that. we bounce around. Maybe we should just do it a little bit more organized because we're kind of in the same. We're talking about the same things. We're just talking about you know players, coaches, NHL, whatever. I think we just run through the winners and then go to losers. Sound good? Sure. Okay. Uh, my well, I don't know if I have a biggest winner, but my biggest winner might be Barry Trotz. Wow. A little random. I understand that, but we were just talking about picking Elaine, and Nashville picked <laughs> Elaine, and they picked Elaine for <laughs> Barry. Barry Trotz has taken over as the new general manager for the Nashville Predators this summer or this spring, wherever. I'm I'm sure he's involved in the decision-making now. But David Poyle went out there and set the table for him. It's not about me, 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 David Poyle and trying to make a run this year. It's about Barry, Barry, Barry. Barry gets to come in and draft and draft and draft because the Nashville Predators just basically sold off assets when they're in a position where they could maybe make the playoffs. So they picked a lane. They picked a lane decisively. They have now 10 first or 10 picks, sorry, uh, in the first Four rounds this year. They've got a bunch of picks moving forward. They got a huge return on Tanner Janot, good return on Ekholm, decent return on Mikhail Granlin. Barry Trotz is now going to have the chance to come in, draft the guys he wants, 
build a solid prospect foundation base and then move forward from there. If it was the other way where David Poyle is trying to empty the cupboards, then he's in a worse spot. Barry Trotz comes in into uh, a situation where he can make best use of it. So I think he's a big winner. It's a good winner. I like that a lot. Mine, uh, unfortunately, hurts to say, but the biggest winners for me were the Boston Bruins. Fastest team to get to 100 points in NHL history this season. Uh, The best defensive team, the second best offensive team in the league. Basically steamrolling everybody from the start of the season till now, coasting their way to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Feels like an inevitable race to the Cup. They got better, and they didn't even really need to, but they found a way to plug some tiny little holes that they had Dmitry Orlov looks like an absolute stud. No this integration problems been, with the Boston Bruins, is there? No, not not even a thought. It's like they seamlessly walked right into the locker room and decided that they're going to continue to be the best team in the NHL. Orlov looks dynamite. Um, Hathaway, you got Bertuzzi, which was a shocking one there. You even locked up Pasternak for long term, which I know doesn't really count, but still gives you a little bit of a positive boost. The only thing I say is the Hall and Felino injuries could it gave them Bertuzzi though but it did so that's it so it's like it's uh catch 22 mm-hmm. no right. I think they're in a good spot right now they look unstoppable <laughs> that was maybe the worst analysis I've ever given on the show I think they're in a good spot you the Boston Bruins yeah I think they're in a pretty good spot oh, I think they're probably decent uh, I think yeah I gave I mean I guess this is my second I only have two general managers but I gave Don Swinney like the fact that he got passion act done too it's just like okay you're now just flexing on everybody this is uh, the weekend of the Boston Bruins this might be sacrilegious. Boston Bruins plus 250 to win the Eastern Conference was something that I jumped all over this when? weekend. This It was still plus 250? 250 just to win the Eastern Conference if you are, you know, a non-believer in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Boston just looks a cut above everybody else, yeah. and everyone that's come in just makes sense and works right away. Bertuzzi's like a mini Marshawn or a little bit of bigger Marshawn mm-hmm. doing less of what Marshawn does, but a little bit of what Marshawn does. Yeah, it's, it just seems like everything that they've touched has turned to gold. So uh, Don Sweeney and the Boston Bruins, big, big winners. This one, a little contentious. Could be maybe Venn diagram, but mm-hmm. I went winner because I think it leans more to the winner's side. Minnesota Wild. Yeah, I wondered where to put these guys too, actually. <laughs> I think they're in a potential like have their cake and eat it too situation. I mean, they started the trade deadline playing banker and it was like, what are you guys doing? You realize you're a pretty good team that just, cut, you know, you bought out Zach Parise and Ryan Suter so you could compete now. I know it makes it harder to compete because they earn a lot of money uh, in terms of cap penalty, but you still have a good team here and you're trying to win. But then they went out and got a couple impact forwards, potentially bargain basement guys, Marcus Johansson and Gus Nyquist, who can maybe have a pretty big impact, at least compared to what they uh, cost. And then John Klingberg was one of these stories of the summer. He's going to be the big rental. Of course, his value cratered, and that was shown in the return. But John Klingberg should be motivated as ever to recoup his value because he's got to sign another contract this summer. Minnesota might get a really, really fantastic version of him for basically nothing. And then I think those two other players can fit into what they do. So I think Minnesota had a really good deadline. I don't expect them to like come out of the Western conference because they are kind of diminished and they're not like massive, massive swings, but I think they got better and they picked up draft picks along the way. I like the fact that there's a couple of players that are playing for something that are on, like the Klingberg thing for me, you bring up a good point is he's going to be playing for a massive payday. So whatever he does for the rest of the season, he's extremely motivated. So even if it's just like a, a play for yourself, Giannis type deal, 
people have lots of thoughts in the text line as well. So I'll bring that up after. Um, I like that one. Um, okay, so I have the Rangers, obviously, <laughs> as major winners. Tarasenko, Kane, you could stop right there. And that's a pretty dynamite lineup. You transformed your top six, which really didn't need to be transformed too much. You have a power play that looks absolutely lethal once they get going as well. Um, I, I like a team that has star power because it's fun to cheer for. The New York, New Jersey dynamite area, which is going to possibly be a playoff series that we see, I think, anywhere on that side of the continent. I like that dynamite area. That little dynamite area there. <laughs> Rangers, Devils, like I kind of, I don't want to group them together because obviously the Devils are another winner. But I, I think for that rivalry and that battle, it got so much better. Patrick Kane, of course, is a winner because he got to basically say, I want to go here, make it work. So winners, Rangers, winners, Patrick Kane, of course. And our Timmy Panera and I is a winner as well because he gets to play with his old buddy, Patrick Kane, which is very exciting. Yeah. Uh, my biggest winner from a player perspective Jacob Chikrin. Oh, uh, Ottawa is so not sweet, Los eh? Angeles. It's not. Maybe he would have been happier in Los Angeles. Maybe it would have been a better spot for lifestyle, but it seems like Ottawa might be the best place for Jacob Chikrin after all. It was pretty, he looked great. That's was, the first game I watched him in a long time, too. He, lo- he looked great. <laughs> he tra- He's like the perfect piece for that group. He slides in perfectly. Again, no integration process there. And he gets to hang out with his grandpa. His grandpa is mowing on Tim Hortons in the stands. Jacob Chikrin is crying that was in so his interview sweet. with Kyle Bacoskis. If you haven't seen it yet, like, let's just spot that you have to watch Jacob Chikrin seeing his grandfather react to his, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's very, very sweet. It's I don't know what the exact family situation is like, but I don't know where Jacob Chikrin's parents live. I don't know that whole thing, but his grandpa's in Ottawa. Now he's hanging with Gramps. And that's awesome very, very that sweet. Jacob Chikrin gets to hang with Gramps in Ottawa and play for the Ottawa Senators. Really happy for the Chikrins. And you know what? I'm excited for the Ottawa Senators. Like, I don't really know the realistic possibility that they do a lot here, but what an invigoration to have this guy come back. They looked good. I know Stewie's listening. He loves those sends. Like, it's not it's not out of the possibility. They're looking like a reinvigorated team. They're almost team. like, I don't want to say favored to make the playoffs, but... Game I don't we'll, know. We'll, we, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take a look at that in the wake and rake. I yeah. think I think they have better than a 50-50 shot, and I bet they're priced below a 50-50 mm-hmm. shot. Okay, the sense, possible winners in general. Um, but, yeah, Jacob Chickering looks good there. Happy to see him. Happy, like, just to play hockey, too. It's nice. Um, Do you have any more winners? Yeah. Okay, go with it. Go with it. The Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm. I'm Ven on the, on the Pending. Leafs. Pending. I'm Ven. No, I'm not Ven. I'm Ven. All last week, we got fired up about the Maple Leafs. They have a brutal performance on Saturday, and you're now moved to the middle of the Venn diagram. I'm just saying, okay, why we got really excited. Of course, Wednesday, very, very excited. But part of the reason why I was excited, because I thought another move was coming because they Mm. set themselves up. I thought for another move, that move didn't happen for that reason. Slight then. For me, winners are teams that got better and found value, and I think they did both of those. They still kept their biggest assets. They didn't clean out shop and put it, as you've put, for the last week, they gave an opportunity for next year in 2024 to still be in play. They got better. The Maple Leafs got better. And we're winners in this fan base because we had a week of trade to talk about, and we didn't end up here with nothing. So we're a winner for that. But I will say, very concerned about Ryan O'Reilly and how that might change our grade. But in the moment... That puts it in Ven. Stop saying in Ven. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... That's I'm still putting them in the winner. Uh, last winner for me. I'll make it short and sweet. Edmonton Oilers. I think yes. Matthias Ekholm is the single most important addition. 
uh, potentially for this group, considering the state of the Western Conference, considering Edmonton's needs. I think Matias Ekholm, despite what happened against the Jets uh, over the weekend, uh, at least in the second half of, I think, their double doubleheader they played in mm-hmm. with Winnipeg, uh, I think they are so much better defensively now, and it's a huge addition. Okay, losers. I know I touched on it with Frank, but I just needed to make sure that it was in my losers first off. The Philadelphia Flyers failing to move James Van Riemsdyk, like, shocking. He was, after the big guys went, the top of the trade target board. Whether you think he's good or not anymore, he was still a guy that people could have found a fit for. Uh, and now you do nothing, and you kind of had a really tough way of explaining it, too. Oh, you know, there were there were some interest. There was already pending trades. Like, the insiders broke that he was on the move, and then it was last minute, not on the move. It wasn't the right fit for you. I just think if you're listening and you're a fan, you know, you're listening to your GM talk about why you couldn't trade the one player that was basically the hot topic at the last day of the trade deadline. I don't really understand it. And unfortunately, you're a loser. Yeah, JVR is a loser for me. Uh, if you're you're like the one who makes the most sense to leave and yeah, no and one can stuck. figure it out. <laughs> I, I think it says I, I'm not as bullish on JVR as Frank was. Frank does see JVR play more than, than we are right now. Of course, he's from Philly, lives mm-hmm. in Philly. Uh, I just don't think there's much meat on that bone. And even at 25% retention or 75% retention, rather, I just I don't know if he was ever that sexy of a potential addition so I, I think he's a loser for not going but he's a ufa too yeah i just it's like you're just bye-bye for i know free. i mean and klingberg went for a fourth like the, the price is definitely dried up but to not go it, yeah it's not great uh people in vancouver who just want peace oh my god i was waiting for this one they're losers if you just want a piece because the <laughs> the wars will continue to be waged after vancouver made a win now move for philip ronick uh like it's quality player uh you might be better with him but you cannot and refuse to pick a lane. And for that reason, the fan base will continue to burn and will only do so or so more brightly now that Philip Roenick is a member of the Vancouver But did Canucks. you see the reports that there was offers for JT Miller, a package of draft picks, and they said, no, we're not rebuilding. We want a center back. And they th- blew up the opportunity to actually start this rebuild process for a guy like JT Miller, who's been in the conversation all year long, mm-hmm. said, actually, never mind, we're not rebuilding, blew that opportunity, and now we're left with nothing for, like, just him, which is fine, but no opportunity to move off him when you could. And I think the Penguins are losers, too. Mm. Be- They're I, just I, getting I, older. And, and I said specifically, <laughs> I, I, I put Sidney Crosby as a loser because it's kind of a grim outlook now. Like, if you got JT Miller, yeah, okay, I, I, I get it. Like, it makes sense. Yeah, go, not go all in, but get better. Try to improve this team. Be good for a couple more years with Sid. But if you're just going to nibble around with the Mikhail Gremlins of the world, and you used up a lot of cap space mm-hmm. to do that, by the way, like, you're not going to get better. You're not going to get good enough where it means something or you're going to play meaningful games or too many meaningful games, meaningful runs with Sidney Crosby, and that's what he deserves, of course. Where do you put, and this one's a Venn diagram for me, the Coyotes. Winners if you don't care about your pride. <laughs> uh, losers if you want to be uh, for the spirit of the game. But winners if you're looking to to help other teams out. I'm not going to be too hard on a team that's filling out, like following a mandate and doing it to the best of its ability. And that's what they did. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to like celebrate them, but I don't think they're They're in the loser category for me. me. Um, Winners, everybody at Sportsnet did a wonderful job of covering the trade deadline for 24 straight hours live on the radio, the TV, put the work in. 
Justin, yourself, a winner. You did extra grind. You did five hours of radio on Friday. Five of seven was it's pretty, pretty good. Ag- it's pretty aggressive yeah, pretty now in good, hindsight. Though. You did a great it job. Was, it was cool having the synergy with TV and radio, mm-hmm. like seeing guys come up here and girls coming up here and, and joining us in studio, going back down. We got Colby for like five minutes because he had to do some. He had to deliver pizza. He had to deliver pizza for a little content play there, but that's okay. It was it was nice having people come up and go back down, and it felt like we were you know part of the big show. All right, cool. Any more? You can send that in at 590-592. We can sprinkle that in after Jeff Belair and the Wake and I'll give you one more loser. Okay. I'll go Red Wings fans. We're four years into Steve Eiserman's tenure. Are there any And of they are, oh, yeah, hockey town. Come on. Just joking. Four years Steve Eiserman's been in charge of this, and they're selling off young players. Four years into it, you're selling off? Like, there's almost too much job security, mm-hmm. and I think Steve Eiserman has it. Yeah, there's some tears as well, some from the, some of the players. Yeah, that's tough. To and that's see. another thing. Like, you just signed. You could have traded Dylan Larkin if you were serious about starting over and building mm-hmm. up again. But you signed him, and then you trade his best friend and the other people his age away. I, I don't. I don't. A lot of people are celebrating Steve Eiserman for his what he did at the deadline. I don't see it. I don't get it. You just spent all summer. Now you sell off your younger players. Doesn't make any sense to me. All right, um, send your picks in, 590-590. Did we miss any winners or losers? We'll get to it after Jeff Blair and during the wake and rake. And we're going to fish through what everybody thinks about this Giannis triple-double because it is quite uh, tumultuous in the text line right now, I'll tell you that. Okay, Jeff Blair on the other side of the break. Let's talk about Jose Bautista getting added to the level of excellence and where the Blue Jays are at early on in spring training.